Alexis de Tocqueville, the 19th century French journalist wrote, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields and boundless prairies, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast commerce, and it was not there. Not until I went to the Church of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. Boy, I hope uh, Alexis de Cokeville doesn't come back to America anytime soon. Oh, man. <laughs> I wonder if he was a white Christian nationalist. Anywho, this is Religionless Christianity. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, if you're new here, this show, um, each and every week, we do our best to help Christians navigate this perverse and secular world that we find ourselves in and um, try to figure out how we can stick close to Christ through it all. And yeah. um, if you care as well, we also do five-minute daily devotionals Monday through Friday, um, just sort of walking through the Word. We just open it up and kind of verse by verse-ish, you know, we, we'll mm -hmm. skip a few in there. Um, but those are pretty good. We enjoy doing those. So. Um, that's who we are. Today, we are going to be taking a look at a couple of stories from the news, and then we're going to be discussing white Christian nationalism, as it's called. Um, <laughs> and well, at least that's the way that it's described in our bastion of Christianity and truth, CNN. So right. that's what we're going to be looking at today. But before we get to everything, is there anything you'd like to say? Yeah, I have a friend uh, who left her and her daughter up in prayer. Um, she's just trying to fight for custody of her daughter. And father has the daughter and refuses to let the mom see her now, just, just out of spite. And it's very heartbreaking for the daughter and for the mom. And and I know that these situations are all too common, really. And But it's the first one that's you know, that I've, well, I've been close to someone who's experiencing it. And, um, yeah, your heart just, you know, you really feel, uh, more compassion. I think when you know someone and they express, you know, their hurt. Um, yeah, I just, we miss that. We miss that little girls, um, you know, seeing her. So we hope we get to see her again at all this, uh, goes in the mother's favor. So please pray uh, God's will be done. Yeah. Yeah. Can I make two plugs? As this show is all about helping you walk a Christ-like life in a secular and perverse world, two things. Marry the right person. Don't have sex out of wedlock so that you don't find yourself in these situations. Um. And don't get divorced if you are married, because it's selfish, especially if you have children. Um, anywho, moving along <laughs> to my prayer opinion. request. <laughs> That's my opinion. Um, but uh, two prayer requests for me. Uh, I start class next week. I know I've talked to you guys about my seminary journey and even have some videos on YouTube about why I picked where I picked. and. 
the classes actually get rolling next week. So I'm excited about that. But I do just pray um, or ask you to pray that I would have some time management grace, I guess, if you will. I'm not the best time manager. I typically am busy all the time, not with worthwhile things. I just always busy. So he likes uh, to stay busy. That's true. I do. And then I was so smart at work. They're like, Hey, man, do you want to take this course? It's like a two week course. I was like, sure, sign me up. So I'm going to school for two things at the same time, which is always great. Um, But anywho, just pray for me. There's plenty of time in the day, I just got to use utilize it right. I will remind you. And I don't want to drop the ball here, (laughs) because this is what we love doing. Um, and then I think that's all I got for prayer requests. Yeah, just pray for us and pray for the young lady. And uh, as always, we want to make sure we get our cardinal contingency solutions plug in here. Uh, I think they are vitally important as, you know, the racists, the perverts, the God haters, um, if they have not already they will soon be coming for you, for your church, for your ministry. So I would just implore you to make sure now, um, before it's too late, before you stuck your foot in your mouth, or you've, you know, you got the pressure on you, uh, make sure that you get the training and messaging, counter exploitation, all that sort of up to speed, as we get ready to traverse into this um, new world where I think increased Pressure, increased scrutiny, and all this stuff is going to be coming on the church. I think it's just beginning to ramp up here in this country. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't be uh, caught with your pants down, as they like to say. People like to say that, I think. <laughs> I don't think people say that very often anymore. Yeah, maybe not in <laughs> regards to this. But yeah, just get the training you need. Cardinal is the uh, Cardinal is the business to give you that training. That's what they do. They are the best in the world at it. So reach out to them. They will help you, I promise. Um, And then also, just want to make note, we are proud members of the Christian podcast community. You can see us right there, hanging out here in the middle. But we aren't the only ones there. We got 50 to 60 other good Christian podcasters, um, Mm -hmm. some with some pretty sweet uh, podcast logos. But they're all good, godly men and women talking about interesting things. And what's great about it, you can subscribe, you go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, wherever, iHeartRadio, whoever, and you can just subscribe to the Christian Podcast community feed, and you'll get all of our podcasts of 60 different podcasts. So rather than trying to go and find 60 individual good podcasts on a wide ranging or a wide range of Christian topics, just subscribe to Christian Podcast community, you get them all. Mm-hmm. So easy peasy. And one last thing to note, if you happen to be watching on the uh, on the YouTube channel, uh, we got our shirts in. So we, you know, just created some simple shirts, nothing outlandish or crazy, because I wouldn't wear if it was outlandish or crazy. So you can see Nikki is wearing one version of our Genesis 127. He created them male and female shirts. So we have her version. I created my own version that Nikki didn't like, so I created it just for me. Um, Same thing, it's a Genesis 127, but then it has the Hebrew male and female. And then we have four other versions. I'm wearing the Galatians 328. I thought we were both gonna wear this shirt in honor of 
we are all one in Christ Jesus. She had other plans. So I'm wearing mine. Um, <laughs> but then we have, you know, they're just simple shirts, verse, you know, a little something or other picture on there. They're not terribly outlandish, but then they all do also have just a short little saying on the sleeve, on the left sleeve. So you can see mine for Galatians 3.28 says, slave nor free. I think Nikki says, um, indeed, it was very good. So just simple shirts, you know, not so much that we're trying to be like, oh, you know, preach the gospel everywhere you go. And if you have to use your words, we're not doing that thing. But it's a way to support the podcast um, and get something in return. You know, we uh, want to, I guess, provide as best we can. And they aren't, you know, labeled with our podcast all over them. They're just simple mm -hmm. Christian shirts. So they're there. The links will be in the show notes. You can go find those if you're on the podcast. Take a look at those. If you purchase one, we'd be super happy about it. Anywho. <laughs> All righty then. You guys know what time it is. Prepare yourself. Gird your loins. It's that time of the week as we take our trek through the valley of the shadow of death and take a look at the news of the week. And we don't have as many stories necessarily as we wanted to get to, but we did have some important stories. So if you want to read this headline, honey. Federal judge Visa knowingly helped Pornhub monetize child porn. Yep. And then just maybe hmm. go through the first three paragraphs if you want to. Okay. A federal judge in California has determined that Visa will remain a defendant in a lawsuit filed by 34 women who allege that MindGeek, the Montreal-based parent company of Pornhub and other online porn sites, featured explicit videos of them while they were still minors. U.S. District Court Judge Cormac Carney of the Central District of California denied Visa's motion to remove the credit card company from the lawsuit. And when MindGeek decides to monetize child porn and Visa decides to continue to allow its payment network to be used for that goal, despite knowledge of MindGeek's monetization of child porn, it is entirely foreseeable that victims of child porn, like plaintiff, will suffer the harms that plaintiff alleges, Judge Carney wrote in his ruling. Yep. This makes me well up with happiness inside when I read this story. I was overjoyed. Um, not, of course, because of the minors and the porn industry, but because Visa is getting uh, lumped in here with this lawsuit. I was like, man, it makes me want to sing a psalm. Feels so good. So I went and found a psalm that my heart could sing. Psalm 58 says, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. They have venom, like the venom of a serpent, like the deaf adder that stops its ear, so that it does not hear the voice of charmers or the cunning enchanter. O oh God, break the teeth in their mouths, tear out the fangs of the young lions. O oh Lord, 
Maybe somebody could put that to music for us. That would be appreciative. And we would play it <laughs> next time uh, or when they come out with the ruling on Visa. But, um, you know, we're joking a little bit here, but this is, I'm happy about this, you know, because if this is true, you know, 34 miners that they allege here in this lawsuit, you know, I obviously hope that MindGeek, this parent company of Pornhub, obviously I hope they get shut down completely. And I hope that those who own and operate MindGeek and Pornhub get thrown in prison um, for a very long time. I would be very overjoyed with that. Mm -hmm. But I also hope that if this is true, um, that Visa gets sued into oblivion by every one of these um, plaintiffs here. Yeah. If that bankrupts Visa and they go out of business, I'm not going to worry about it. Um, I got a Discover card. So what do I care, right? <laughs> no, I mean, I think this would make me happy. Because um, pornography is such a disgusting, such a wicked endeavor. And those that promote and profit off of it are disgusting and wicked. Um, you know, obviously, when you're talking about the mind geek, the owners of Pornhub and stuff like that, those who sort of spread this vial um, into our country and infect men and women of all ages with the poison, um, they should be dealt with in the harshest manner possible. There should be no punches pulled, no plea deals. Um, just throw the book at them. As far as I'm concerned, I have no sympathy. Um, and I often use the example, may have even used it on here before, but I've used it with other people before that at least to me, and I could be wrong, feel free to correct me, but there is a difference between sinning and being a sinner. And the, this is the analogy I always use is, you know, if in a moment of weakness, you look at porn, you know, given to your lustful, um, temptations or whatever, you're sinning. So go seek repentance, seek forgiveness, make it right. But if you own MindGeek, for example, you own Pornhub, you're a sinner. <laughs> like, those are vastly different things, in my opinion. So well, yeah, there's no repentance there. There's no intention of turning away. No, so they're That's fully... your course that you want to stay on. Yeah, I mean, they're, yeah. they dove headfirst into the sin pool, and they're just backstroking through it. So um, very big difference there. And I also would pray that they would come to repentance, but maybe it's selfishly. I pray that God would break them to the point of repentance. I don't want it to be an easy road out for them. And I'm sure that's selfish. And I probably need to ask for forgiveness there, but I do want their souls to be made right before God, but I would like it to be a bit of an uphill climb <laughs> for them. Because it is so grotesque. Well, you um, want great godly sorrow over yeah. sin. Right. And anybody who understands the gospel, you know, I mean, Jesus said, who's been forgiven much, loves much. And we right. pray that they would understand. Um, and it's just like one of those things in the, you know, recent years, we know how, how, I guess, awful the porn industry is maybe years ago you could sort of convince yourself that somehow a lot of these women wanted to be there or you know whatever it is you were no. tricking um. yourself into believing you can't hold to that anymore and here you go with a perfect example of 34 that we know of and the um 
it says uh, one video in the lawsuit out of the many. The video was entitled 13-Year-Old Brunette Shows Off for the Camera. And it says this video had more than 400,000 views before it was taken down. And then it appeared again on other MindGeek sites. It was on at least one of MindGeek sites as recently as 2020, um, according to the lawsuit. So think about that. 400,000 views on a video titled 13-Year-Old Shows Off. How disgusting is that? Um, what year did they say that was? As recent as 2020. The 13-Year-Old one. That one. It was up as recent as 2020, two years ago. Right. When was this? I don't know when it, it was uploaded. Say. I didn't go look it up oh. myself. But um, but yeah, 400,000 sick perverts knowingly clicking on a link to watch a 13-year-old. Yeah, it says strip. the age right on there. Like, Yeah, that makes it even worse. Weird. Um, so again, these people destroy lives. And Visa partnered with that. And again, that's why they're saying that Visa is part of this lawsuit is because this information apparently sort of came out that MindGeek was engaging in child porn and Visa continued to do business after that information was made available. That's why they're still in the lawsuit. They knowingly partnered with people peddling child porn. So that's why they deserve to be here. And that's why I hope they get sued into oblivion. Um, I think it said that MasterCard, they backed out. Yeah, it might have. I didn't read that didn't part in there with it. Yeah. specifically, but kudos to them if they did. Because again, we're not saying Visa can't do business with a porn company, right? It's legal in America to whatever extent it's legal. So they, they do business, right? Visa's in the business of doing business. But once it comes out, that this is a company engaged in child pornography, that changes everything. You can't just be like, well, I mean, they still cash and checks, right? Like, it's just, I'm happy that this is happening, but it destroys lives. Um, and I think that's why it's important that these people be sued and have the book thrown at them. You know, this story mentions one litigant in here. I think it's that 13-year-old girl. And she says, um, her life spiraled out of control after the video went public. She suffered harassment at school, developed an addiction to heroin, and attempted suicide on several occasions. So there's your porn addiction, America. You know, your sexual appetite, clicking on the links of a 13-year-old undressing. Um, this is what it results in, right? The ruined life of a 13-year-old who I would imagine is going to be suffering with, it, with this for the rest of her life outside of a move of God. Um, so mm -hmm. your little, you know, five, 10 minute tryst on your laptop, because whatever, you know, it's just something you think is worthwhile to do um, is a girl's ruined life, an entire lifetime trying to kill herself. So and I've, she probably didn't even consent to having it uploaded on anything. Like no, a lot she of these, couldn't have consented. Like, I mean, even if she said, have yes, no idea please going upload to. it. Yeah. And again, this goes into a much broader topic in our society with even if she wanted it to be uploaded, she's 13. She doesn't understand what she's doing. So you yeah. can make the same case very easily with a 13-year-old. And this isn't even in part of our notes. 
that wants to get gender reassignment surgery. They're 13. They don't know what they want. <laughs> That's why we wait until people are adults before we let them make mm. these big decisions. Right. Um, so, you know, if porn is something that's still gripping your life, pray, pray, pray and seek repentance. Pray that God would teach you to hate it the way he hates it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because there's real lives on the other side of that camera and not all of them want to be there. You know, um, this is just one of, I would guess, hundreds of thousands of girls around the world. Um, not to mention, you know, just the money that these perverts are making off 13 year old girls and such. But we know in recent years, all the sex trafficking that goes into the pornography industry that you're supporting every time you log in and click on it, you're supporting it. Um, and I know that may not be your heart. Most people watching it aren't going, yeah, grab that girl off the street in Mexico and throw her on a video. But that's what you're doing. That's what you're supporting, right? So that's what your porn addiction looks like. And I would just call you to a place of repentance. Um, I took down First John. Baby, if you want to read, just as a verse to sort of tie in with this, um, this story here. Mm -hmm. Do you want to read it? It's First John chapter 2, verse 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Absolutely. Lust, pornography, sexual immorality, those are desires of the flesh. Mm. Those are desires of the eyes. They are not of the Father. So please flee from it. Run from it. Punch a hole in your computer monitor if you have to. Um, I know, at least it's not as bad as gouging out your eyes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, don't worry. You can listen to this podcast. You don't need a screen for that. We are here for you. Um, but no, take it serious. And yeah, I don't know. Um, if you can find a way to help ensure that Visa and MindGeek get all the extra scrutiny that they deserve, let us know because we want them to be scrutinized Um is as much as they can we want them to be found guilty if they're guilty and then we want them to mm -hmm. suffer harsh penalties if they're guilty so um yeah. this next story here you know just a bit of a disappointment and you want to read this headline honey gop senators say kansas abortion result a wake-up call for party and then just read that first paragraph Republican senators were surprised by Tuesday's huge win for abortion rights in Kansas, of all places, even as they sought to downplay the electoral implications for their party ahead of November's midterm elections. Yep. And then just a little lower down here, it says um, right here, Kansas, which is a pretty red state, it's hard to find the words. I think people should look at it, added Senator Tom Tillis when asked for his reaction on the vote. And I could not agree more. Um, I've been looking at this, you know, the last couple of days, pondering it, and it disheartens me, but it also brings clarity, um, which I thank God for. Because I think, you know, we've talked about this before, although we're like anybody, we're humans, we go through roller coasters and, um, you know, we get excited about elections and different things is you know like everyone does and we have to be reined back in ourselves but 
if you think a politician is in any way going to get us out of the mess that we're in, they aren't. Um, they are incapable. They got us into the mess that we're in. So if you guys are unfamiliar, there's a, an ex-NBA player by the name of Royce White. He's running for Congress. I'm a big fan of Royce White, but one of the things that he talks about a lot is the Uniparty, is what he calls it, which is basically the Republican and Democrat Party is the same party, Mm -hmm. Um, which is something that we've sort of said for a long time, not quite as uh, succinctly as he said it, but, you know, we've basically called them actors, just playing roles. That's what they are once they get up there. Um, And I think the truth is, and what you kind of see you know, Kansas, why this was kind of a big deal is they were really the first state post Roe versus Wade being overturned to take on this issue of abortion in their state. You know, some states had laws that went into effect immediately upon Roe being overturned, but this was the first one to really go to the ballot for it. Um, hmm. And you can just see so many, and not just politicians, but just Republican um, citizens, people that would consider themselves Republican, they just don't want to fight for life. Um, I think is what it shows. Like they didn't invest the time, they didn't invest the effort that the pro baby killing side did. You know, they didn't want to. Um, I don't know, put in the effort. What is it that they would do? What Number one would be get off your butt and go vote. That's the first thing you could do. I thought um, that the people didn't vote on this. No, this was a it was like a referendum or a, a ballot measure of some sort. So this was actually on the vote or on the ballot to vote for. You would say, I vote yes or no, you know, like when you're going in and voting. Okay. So this was literally a person by person vote. It wasn't just your elected representative votes for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, you wow. know. The ones that wanted to kill the babies, they invested the time and they do it all the time. They fight until the very end. You know, Republicans, it seems like they just really care about being in the majority. Like, well, just win us some seats and let's not rock the boat too hard. Um, and that's super disheartening. I mean, you can still, you know, reach out to people and just make a difference in individual lives which is i mean it's something it's not that they're not not doing anything if people really want to get an abortion they will go to another state they certainly can i understand Um, that it will be harder but but i will just say if you're the kind of person who will go out of your way to help people like if you're actively fighting against abortion you're willing to help people that kept their babies and you're doing what you can to make sure that they are taken care of and you're doing all this activism, you're going to go vote. But it's unlikely that you would be the kind of person that would do all of this behind the scenes and then be like, "Eh, I don't have time to go vote for saving babies' lives. No, I would imagine the people that didn't vote don't do either of them. They don't have the time to go vote and they probably don't contribute a whole lot Mm -hmm. to saving lives outside of their just normal daily lives just speculation i mean who am i to say but um it does go on in this article to say here um oh shoot down here it says democrats said the vote 
which favored protecting abortion rights by nearly 20 percentage points, as well as historic voter turnout in the primary election, sent a loud message to the nation that Americans support abortion rights. And maybe that's true. I don't know. Um, Because I heard, and I don't know that it specifies in this article in particular, but I heard that more voters turned out on the pro-baby killing side than were registered in the state. Hmm. So they turned out the vote like crazy. Um, They wanted to win, and they did what it took to win. Um, We, on the other hand, (laughs) the supposed pro-life side, um, we just wanted to sit in our house, wringing our hands, hoping somebody else would take care of what we were too lazy to get up and take care of ourselves. Maybe they just didn't... um think it would go that way like they said that he was shocked uh and i imagine they didn't think the other side was actually gonna do anything that might be true but i don't think being an idiot's a good excuse if you haven't seen how rabid the other side is to maintain abortion rights and you're just like it's yeah. probably gonna be all right for us boys no reason for me to get I all think, worked yeah, up we need to realize this is how they are. This is the spirit in them. This is going to happen in every state. Yeah, like it is a wake up call in a sense, but what yeah. a shameful wake up call. Well, now that we like, see hey, how it's turned out. You actually have to care enough to save babies' lives. Um, but yeah. the thing is, we don't, right? Like we can say it like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, of course, babies deserve the chance to live. Um, you know, unless that means that you got to put your pants on and go outside and do something in that case, eh, you know, just don't have the time for it. Right. So I don't know. How much do you care? How courageous are you? I think it says a lot. And I know I'm probably speaking harshly about it, but I think it needs to be spoken harshly of because quite literally there's lives on the line and those who want to kill the babies are willing to do anything to ensure that they have the right to. And those of us who say we want to save the baby's lives really just can't be bothered all that much. Just think about none of this would have even happened if Donald Trump hadn't have been elected, which most of these people that are probably in the pro-choice camp couldn't bring themselves to vote for such a man. Oh, he's so unreal. He's not even Christian, don't you know? Yet he did more to save babies' lives than probably a lot of these people in Kansas sitting on their hands. Um, and then it goes on down here in this article. Uh, yeah, this really drove me nuts. He says, I think the biggest motivator for voters this time is going to be the economy, Senator Roy Blunt predicted on Wednesday. And I thought, boy, yeah. ain't that the truth, you know? Oh, what's going on? They want to kill babies? Oh, well, you know, I'm watching Hannity tonight. So talking about Hillary Clinton, it's important stuff, don't you know? Can't miss that. Oh, wait, what'd they talk about? What's on the ballot? They might reduce taxes to the voting booth, right? Get out of my way. Nobody's going to stop me from keeping more money in my pocket, right? Think how shameful and stupid that statement is, I think. Ah, sure, they're going to keep killing babies in Kansas. But when we start talking about people's idol, we start talking about their money. 
Oh, they'll get worked up. Don't you worry about it. It is shameful. And then our Republicans who've done nothing for us for 60 years on the saving baby front, they'll have the majority again and all will be right with the world. Yeah. That's so stupid. You wonder why it's so difficult to care at all about politicians and these fake lame promises that they make to us. Oh, we might lower your gas prices, huh? How does that sound? You want to have lower gas prices? Or do you want babies to have a chance to live? Lower gas prices, please, would be pretty nice. It's so stupid. It is. Um, It's really... It is a shame on the people. So, yeah, I don't know. These people, they drive me crazy. You know, like, all you can do is just sit at home, watching Hannity, complaining about Hillary Clinton. But when it actually comes time to doing something, you just can't be bothered. You know, they said what I heard was 375,000 Kansans went out to vote on the pro-life side. And that means we could only rally 125,000 less people to vote to save the lives of the unborn baby than the killers could. So. I mean, that's just a real look in the mirror moment, right? We aren't losing this country because of the wicked. We're losing this country because of the apathy of the so-called righteous. Just can't be bothered, right? And what's righteous about doing nothing? I'd be curious to know. Yeah. So We talked about that before. Nothing is the same as destroying. Yeah. You're a brother of the destroyer. So do you want to read James? Just I threw a verse in here to go along um, with this story as well. James 4.17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Mm. Yeah, that's very convicting. Yeah. Yep. So he's sitting there rallying against mm. uh, saving those babies' lives. Mm. And look, I know I'm talking harsh. I've probably made this mistake in my life as well. Repentance is available for everybody. It's never too late to get involved, get in the game. What I really would want more is this to be a shake, right? Mm -hmm. Someone grab you by the shoulders and be like, for the love of God, man, like we don't have time. These people are in a frenzy. We can't just sit there and be like, I don't know, maybe in uh, November of 2024, Trump will come back. and uh, That's not going to save us. <laughs> like, that's not, you can't wait for that. That's your only hope is <laughs> Trump comes back into office. Then you're, you're no use to us. You're no use to the country. You're no use to Christianity um, being preserved yeah. in this country. You know, that's not going to do it here. So they're just, they rally together often for what they want. Like it's, yeah, they're motivated that, for it. Yeah. We can see that they're go-getters. Like that's that should motivate us to move harder than they are. So And it should also motivate you when you see how active and passionate the other side is. You have to be aware of that and go, man, I, I really can't sit on my hands here anymore. Like they're really going after this. That means my vote's super important here. My voice is very important here. I mean, that's the whole reason why we started this podcast. We're like, we just have to have a voice in this. At some level, the world's getting so wicked. The country's gone so astray. We at least have to say, we said something. (laughs) We did something, right? Um, 
But I think why I wanted to keep this story in here, because I was debating whether or not to keep this story, was just that it clarified a lot for me. Um, and this is what we talked about with our children just the other night, um, is just coming to the mindset and the realization that we aren't really in this country in a process of restoring anything. Um, I think the restoration ship has sailed. You know, I think if we're anywhere in this nation, we're more in the initial stages of building something. And, you know, we're going to have to begin the process of building a faithful nation because there really isn't a whole lot left to restore. Those of us who would be righteous are apathetic, right? They're just, I don't know, sitting around waiting for the Lord to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it's not like our nation, like it was only once a good nation because people feared God, more people feared God. And you can't build back or make something good if it's full of people with wicked hearts like it the answer is the gospel that's it like you started with christian values like that's where you got to begin again yeah it's almost like you're in the position of taking the initial gospel message like you know the church in rome you're going to be facing nothing but persecution and uphill battles to sort of win people here and there you know get a couple churches planted here and there because we just looked at a study We've talked about it a handful of times on this show, where it said 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview. And Mm -hmm. so whatever the numbers you want to say, 60% Christian, none of that matters. If you don't have a biblical worldview, I don't know how you can classify yourself as a Christian. And I think that that number is accurate. Mm -hmm. Just in your day-to-day life, those you interact with, those that you witness and bear good fruit, 6% seems about right. Um, So I think that's what we have to realize. That's the team that we have to work with. 6% of America is the team that we have to try to rebuild what this country either once was or build what we want it to be. Um, Yeah, but I was just going to say, like, even if, you know, we go out and vote and it's illegal in every state for abortion. We still have the issue of wicked hearts. We have wicked people raising wicked children. It's, right. It, it doesn't, that doesn't save America. Like we're saving babies' lives, yes, but we have to be focused on the gospel. And that's really what's going to make the biggest difference in, you know, turning the country around. It needs to turn toward God. Yeah, I mean, abortion is just a byproduct of the wickedness. And you got to fight the battles that are in front of you. But yes, the heart, the soul is the battle. Um, And I heard a podcaster earlier this week, and he mentioned something that really stuck out to me. And I thought, man, maybe this is me. You know, he mentioned that even nostalgia can be an idol that, at least in this nation, we're going to have to let go of. And I thought... I think that's where I am. I think, you know, because I love the founders. You know, we read to our kids about the founding of this nation. And I, I have an affection for them, who they were, what they believed in, um, you know, 
how they lived lives and how they enacted what they believed in. I love that. Even though they were sinners, they had faults, right? Um, but I think maybe I've been guilty of sort of clinging too much to what was and not realizing what is. And I think that's been a problem for me. So maybe something I need to repent of there. Um, because the principles of America are still there. The blueprint to building that nation is still available to us with the Constitution. Um, it's still available, right? Still standing. Mm -hmm. It's still all true. Um, but we're starting with a new team. And mm -hmm. I think we have to have the mindset that we're waging war. You know, we're in a spiritual war. And I think the longer it takes the 6% of this country to wake up to the fact that we're in a spiritual war, uh, the slower this build is going to take, if it ever takes. Mm. Um, so, again, I wanted to pull up a verse here. For this bit of a, uh, I guess, diatribe that I went on, and it's Amos chapter 9, verses 11, 14, and 15. Just a few sections of those. Um, and God says in there, he says, because um, Amos is talking about Israel being restored. And God says, I will raise up. And then in 14, he says, I will restore. And then in 15, I will plant. And I thought that's a really good reminder because we don't get ourselves back to anything. We don't rebuild anything on our own. God mm. rebuilds. Yes. Um, only if we, you know, give him the opportunity and hold close to him, um, repent and turn back. And I know there may be some people listening and saying, ah, whatever, you know, it's, it's never going to never was a Christian country, never will be a Christian country. You know, we just need to focus on the church family, whatever. If that's what you want to focus on, that's fine. That's not where I'm at. I still have kids that got to live in this world. I have to live in this world. Yep. Um, I'm praying for grandchildren as long as the Lord tarries. And I don't want them to live in this world. <laughs> I don't want them to live in a world that doesn't know what a woman is. Um, that convinces them being sexually immoral is an acceptable lifestyle, that God's not real, religion is for idiots. I don't want my kids to grow up in that world. So mm -hmm. I'm not ready to just give up and be like, well, you know, whatever, just stick to the, you know, the church and stay in your Bible. Yeah, but we definitely train our kids to be prepared for that world. We always tell them it's going to be worse in your generation because it's going to take a long time if this is going to change, if it's going to go back, people turn toward God, like that's not going to happen overnight. So we know it's going to be worse for them. We already know, but we pray that they'll raise their kids better than the way we're even raising them. Yeah. And I mean, in the generations before us knew that the founders knew mm -hmm. that them fighting, you know, a revolutionary war and breaking from Europe was going to be harder for them. But the hope was in future generations, it would be better, mm -hmm. right? Abraham Lincoln knew the Civil War would be ugly, but he knew that unifying the nation would be the best for prosperity in the long run. So, you know, I'm not ready to give up on it. I don't really know how to fight it yet, but I don't think that that's a reason to stop looking. So do you have any last thoughts on these news stories before we roll into our Bible topic of the day? Oh, let's get into the Bible topic. All right, so 
like we mentioned for our Bible topic, we want to talk about Christian nationalism. Um, and this is another battle, you know, that we're going to have to fight. And like I said, you'll hear the godless left calling it Christian nationalism. And you may also hear it from time to time, or probably most of the time, honestly, you'll hear it as white Christian nationalism. So what is white Christian nationalism? And that's a good question. We got our definition of it because this is the article we were using from this CNN article. Do you want to read the headline, honey? An imposter Christianity is threatening American democracy. Yep. So in the simplest terms, it's apparently imposter Christianity. But the article does go on. Let me see if I can. I don't know if I'm going to be able to find it. But it does go on to say that um, white Christian nationalism is a movement that uses Christian language to cloak sexism and hostility to black people and non-white immigrants in its quest to create a white Christian America. So in layman's terms, right, white Christian nationalism is basically the godless left redefining Christianity, you know, as a racist religion, just like basically everything else to the left. It's racist. So who would have thought? That's the uh, long story short. White Christian nationalism means Christianity's racist. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, they're redefining that whole thing going on, reimagining. Everybody's re something. I know. Be careful. Which Hear means those we words. need to rebuild. Um, <laughs> but no, so we're just going to kind of go through this article. We're not going to, you know, scour this article. We read through it and we just pulled out some talking points from it that we thought were worthwhile. Um, so again, all this stuff will be in the show notes. You can go find it for yourself and read through it. We'd love to hear from you guys um, and what your thoughts on this. Again, our heart is not to irritate anybody, you know, not to cause any fights or disagreements, but it's just what we believe. Um, so if you disagree with us, please let us know. We're open to hear um, the arguments can't guarantee that we'll agree with you, but we certainly want to discuss it. So, um, and if you're listening on the podcast for the first time, we are white Christians. So maybe you're saying, well, that skews your view, right? How can we trust you, you racist white Christian? Well, stick around to the end of the episode and maybe you'll see if you can trust us or not. Um, but the article goes on in here and it says, we just pulled this one quote out of here. It says, do you want to read that quote, honey? Sure. <laughs> I know I've been letting you just talk so much. I just, these articles you're drive me nuts, I know. so I'm just running wild. I know. I feel like you're scolding me in a little bit. <laughs> scolding everybody. All right. It says, a report from a team of clergy, scholars, and advocates sponsored by two groups that advocate for uh, the separation of church and state concluded that this ideology was used to bolster, justify, and intensify the attack on the U.S. Capitol. Yep. So Christian nationalists led the charge on the Capitol. And, and you know, I honestly, part of me wishes that was true. Um, but I think if Kansas showed us anything, these people are far too lazy to storm anything. Um, 
you know, and then also who are the clergy? Who are the scholars? They don't mention that really in the article at all. You just have to assume they talk to experts and they all agree, right? Um, So I thought maybe they went to the Union Theological Seminary and got some of their alumni. Yeah, you you can guess. It's a good guess. um, This article goes through and it really references uh, or it interviews two people, really. uh, And then I think it references a book by another uh, gentleman named Gorky or something to that effect. But the first person that they interview is a lady named Kristen Cobes, 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 Demez. And I believe the last time that we heard from her, I feel like she was in the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, because I know that they referenced her book in there, Jesus and John Wayne. Okay. So I'm pretty sure that she was in there. But hmm. she does go on in here to say, um, she says, these ideas, talking about white Christian nationalism, are so widespread that any individual or pastor or Christian leader who tries to turn the tide and say, let's look again at Jesus and scripture are going to be tossed aside. So, I mean, I read this and I thought, well, you can certainly know that she's lying because in this country, who's actually trying to get back to what Jesus and scripture said, yeah. you know? That might cause you to have to preach against overcoming your battles every day and, you know, going out and getting your health and wealth. Nobody wants to do that, right? Nobody's preaching that message. And then it's also worth noting, um, because it's important to know who's telling you these things, right? That's a very important part, especially in the world that we live in today. So um, this Kristen Cobes Dumez She's a progressive Christian who <laughs> thinks that Hillary Clinton's faith um, could save the nation. What? So apparently Hillary Clinton has a faith that this lady thinks is strong enough to heal the nation. What? <laughs> mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton, a faith that could save a nation. Oh. And... Um, she even defends this point on her Twitter account. Yes, I wrote Hillary Clinton's progressive faith tradition. She's very proud of it. Um, and I think it even mentions that she teaches at, uh, ooh, I can't find it. She teaches at, um, Kelvin Seminary. I believe she teaches like history and gender studies. That was her? Yeah. Wasn't there another girl? One of them from that panel from Kate Armas, reimagining. She wasn't on the reimagining biblical woman, though she could have been. So they both were, went there. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're probably colleagues. But yeah, so this is a progressive Christian who believes Hillary Clinton's faith is what the nation needs. Wow. And she teaches like gender studies at a female affirmation seminary. So just that's important to frame the discussion of what you're hearing, right? Because they're going to tell you clergy and scholars are all in agreement well sure but they all have this sort of mentality a progressive christian Mm -hmm. mindset so that's important to know um the next person that you'll hear from in this article a lot is a fella named samuel perry um and the article even goes so far as to make sure that you know samuel perry 
is an authority on white Christian nationalism, which is bizarre because white Christian nationalism became a thing like four months ago. You know, it's funny. I went on to Amazon. I'll try to have it on the screen for anybody that's watching. And I just typed in like white Christian nationalism. And there's like, there's a lot of books in that genre, but really there's like six or eight books that really fit that narrative. And they were all written post January, 2022. Like almost like they sort of had this thought process ready to go. And then January 6th happened and they just started pumping out this white Christian nationalism talking point. So a bit ironic, who knows? Um, But Samuel Perry is one of those fellas. He's also all over YouTube. If you go and look up white Christian nationalism, he's like the spokesman that they push out there to get this narrative out. So um, again, he's the authority, he says. So he lays out three points of this ideology in white Christian nationalism. Um, So the first point here that he lays out is he says, it's a belief that the U S was founded as a Christian nation. That's point number one. Yeah. Well, what do they mean? They go on to explain, um, founded on Christian principles, but wasn't like forced, uh, to be, he didn't force people to be, Christian. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, they just think, you know, again, this is pretty generic stuff here. I think it just, yeah. If you believe that the nation was founded as a Christian nation, that's the first strike on your white Christian nationalism. Um, and he does go on in there to say that part of that is the idea in there is he says, many want to reduce or erase the separation of church and state, says those who study the movement. Who are those? Who knows? You just got to take Samuel Perry's word for it. But I think that's fascinating because he doesn't seem to offer up that this is the very same thing that progressive Christians want to do. They just want to do it the other way around. They want to give control of the church to the state, whereas this white Christian nationalist wants the church to more heavily influence the state. They want the state to influence the church. But somehow that's okay, right? Because Christian Dumas says that that's how we're going to save the nation through Hillary Clinton and her, you know, right Christianity. Um, Her faith? uh, Probably the same thing as Nazi Germany. I don't know. Um, (sighs) But yeah, so that might be a better option. The progressive way of state controlling church to Samuel Perry He is an authority after all, so we'll just have to take his word for it. He does say the second point down here is a belief in a warrior Christ. If you believe in a warrior Christ, (laughs) you are a white Christian nationalist. Yeah, that part was funny. Yeah. And then the third point here, he says, a belief that there's such a person as a real American. Those are the three ideological points of a white Christian nationalist, according to the authority on all white Christian nationalism as of January, 2022, when he wrote his book, I guess, um, Samuel Perry. So I, I mean, I, there are real Americans like American minded, freedom minded morality, the things that laid out the foundation of this country. And if you, 
you hate people hate that they're trying to rip apart the constitution well right we see them trying to tear down traditional american values at every turn so there are certain people that yes adhere to more traditionalist values in this country but um i know what they mean by that term i think it's fine to use right i think they're and again because this is a in their mind a racist thought process in their mind they're classifying that as white has to be part of that where do they get that from a white you know born in america person in their mindset i would imagine to be part of that real american so um we'll get into all of those points here in a second i just wanted to highlight quickly again because it's important to know who you're taking this information from who is this authority supposedly on white christian nationalism so um samuel perry i believe he's a professor at oklahoma but i just went to his twitter feed um i can pull it up here and first off maybe all you need to know about the man is that he's followed on twitter by jamar tisby who is basically a racial idolater wrapped in christian garb Mm -hmm. so that alone isn't enough a hundred percent to discredit the man But it's a strong, strong point um, in the discrediting camp there. But Mm. yeah, he just he seems like a self-loathing white liberal, really, is what it looks like to me. So you go to his Twitter feed and I just saw this tweet and I thought, well, this kind of sums it up perfectly. Here's what he retweets. Um, A history of. What does that say? A history of. Basically, progressive Christianity, the LGBTQ Christians, black, feminist. So these are the evangelicals that Samuel Perry wants to retweet about. Feminist, LGBTQ, progressive evangelicals. So again, you have to understand the person explaining the points to you. This man who's defending feminist LGBTQ evangelicals is the one telling you about the dangers of white Christian nationalism. Alrighty then. We are, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why it's gotta be racial, but why is, I guess, I just don't understand. Like, I see they're attacking Christianity, but what's the point in having it be, what do you think why they have to add in white no, if this is very important. And let me see. I don't think. Because this isn't an attack on white people. It's more Christians. Well, we're going to get into that. I have some um, surveys that I'm going to pull up here when we get into that. I just forgot to. I know. I didn't read over your notes. <laughs> I forgot to put them in our notes here. So that's my fault. But um, yeah, we'll get into that as we sort of roll through here. Um, why okay, I think they have to attach a racial angle to this. Um, but so back to the points. That first point, he said, a belief that the U.S. was founded as a Christian nation. Um, so I guess you can ex- extrapolate out from that, that our founders <laughs> were white Christian nationalists. Um, and, you know, there is disagreement on this, of course, even amongst brothers and sisters in the faith. But I personally, um, 
I believe this was a Christian nation. I believe it was founded as a Christian nation. And I believe that the founders believed it was a Christian nation. Um, does that mean that they believed in the exact same version of Christianity that we do? Probably not. It probably looked and behaved a little bit different. That was 250 years ago. Um, but the idea that, and they even make mention of this in the article, the idea that these guys were all atheists, deists, is simply false. They weren't. They were Christian, by and large. Um, they believed in the God of the Bible. They utilized the Bible um, when mm -hmm. drafting the rules and laws that were going to govern this nation. Um, and they believed that God's hand was on them. They believed God's hand was guiding this nation. You know, so if your stance is, this was never a Christian nation, that's fine. You can have that stance. But we're the closest thing to a Christian nation that ever has been. So if your stance is America was never a Christian nation, well, then there's never been a Christian nation in the history of the world, if that's the stance, which that may be your stance, and that's fine, right? We weren't elected by God to be his people in a land that he gave us. Right, True. and a lot of people think that that's what we're saying and what people, you know, who agree with us, they think that that's what we believe. We don't. <laughs> yeah, and I don't believe that, but... I do believe that our founders um, believed that God's hand was on this nation. I believe that they believed in the God of the Bible. And, and it wasn't just to bless this country with freedom. It was about the gospel. It was a blessing to the people who came here to be free. I think it was to preserve um, the gospel going forth. Definitely. It's not just about our freedoms. We became a great nation who built up churches and missionaries to go out to the rest of the world. Right. I mean, and even to a larger extent, you know, if it was in, I mean, if God's sovereign over all, he knows the end from the beginning, right? Then he knew that it may take an America at a certain time, like World War II, when his people were being persecuted to an extent they never had been before. And it would take an America to go and liberate them, in a sense, in Germany, you know, so yeah, were we, you know, uh, was God's hand on us for a purpose? I yeah. mean, I think you can make that a case purpose so. greater than just to say we're America. Like, yeah, God. If, what is God giving you? Like, think of it. What has God given our nation? So, all right. What are we going to do with those gifts? What are we going to do with these blessings? I mean, right. you look at that on a personal, you know, level too, but on national level, like God does work through nations. He works through individual people. You can't say God's hand wasn't working. <laughs> I mean, I don't think you can. I, and again, people are going to disagree with that, but I, I think the founders believed it. So again, at some point, I think you have to take people's word for it. The founders believed that this, you know, they spoke a lot about divine providence. So, um, but I think the point here, bigger than whether or not, right, was this a uh, Christian nation, um, all that sort of stuff, is I think it's easier to secularize, if that's a real word, this nation, if you can convince the younger generation that it was never really religious mm. in the first place. and. Um, you can go all the way back to 2007 and stuff, right? Michelle Obama was making this very point when Barack Obama was running for president. 
you know, she said, Barack knows we're going to have to change our traditions, change our history. So like, this has been a plan that they've been working on long before us dolts on the other side of the aisle caught wind of it. Yeah, They've been working this plan. Um, so hmm. now, you know, we have America was never a Christian nation and only white racists really ever believed in that is really the point that they're going to be trying to drive home. And it is fascinating when you tie that in because they even make mention of the Supreme Court in here. Mm-hmm. Somehow that mindset works its way into the fact that Clarence Thomas is now somehow a white racist Christian nationalist hero. And that's supposed to make sense. A black Supreme Court justice is a white racist hero. Only in 2022 does that make sense. But um, that's a point they're trying to drive home. So the second point that they have here is a belief in a warrior Christ. If you believe in a warrior Christ, you are a white racist Christian nationalist. So if you believe... Don't even say it. Okay. How dare you? I know. You've, you've read this before. Yes. And that is our hope we look forward to. That's the Jesus. We long for that. We want me to read it? <laughs> um, the verse. I know. I was jumping right to it. Well, I mean, you can't. And they even make mention of... I mean, you can read the verse if you want. Okay. Your podcast. Um, what do you have? Oh, yeah. So I they- didn't put the full verse up oh, there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um. Uh, they follow the Jesus depicted in the Bible of Revelation, the warrior with eyes like flames of fire and a robe dipped in blood, who led the armies of heaven on white horses in a final triumphant battle against the forces of the Antichrist. <laughs> yeah, so they yes, actually. Yes, I, I do. That's the Jesus I look forward to. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. Like they make the point in this article you're a white racist Christian nationalist if you believe. In this Christ explicitly laid out in the book of Revelation in the Bible. And you're like, yeah, I do. And they're like, racist. Isn't that crazy? Because they reference Jesus as described in Revelation, you know, chapter one, <gasps> chapter 19 describes him. And what's fascinating about this, again, if you believe this in the progressive Christian mindset, you're a racist. But this is the Jesus we're going to see next. You know, they make mention in there um, that these white Christian nationalists, they don't want to believe in the Prince of Peace. We certainly believe in the Prince of Peace. Jesus was that. But They're the trying Jesus, to make the, two different Jesuses. And, well, yeah. and he is the same person, right? He yeah. is the Prince of Peace and he is the warrior. But the Jesus that we're going to see next is not coming as the meek and mild yeah. Prince of Peace. He's mm-hmm. coming in the form that the book of Revelation well, explains that he's coming The reason in. they hate that um, description of Jesus is because they don't look forward to that. That terrifies them. <laughs> no. They hate Jesus. That's why they're angry about that. Right, because that Jesus is terrifying for mm-hmm. those that are his enemy. For us, we're like, yes. I was just saying that today. I was just reading this stuff, and I said, I just long for Jesus to come and just... Silence all these people and this nonsense. Like, and maybe I long we for that. are the chief racist Christians on the planet because we literally just did a daily devotional about this. You know, what do you see when you picture Jesus? Do you picture 
the hippie Jesus, you know, the Jesus holding a baby and laughing? Or do you picture revelation? Because that says a lot about, I think, your faith walk and your action and how you live and operate in this world. The next, like, Jesus is coming again, and he's not coming through Mary. He's coming on a white horse. He's coming to judge the world. Like, that should call us to action. Like, holy cow, man, time is short. He is coming here. And if you're not right with him, you're his enemy. Like, the time has, is going to be passed then. So I guess that's racist to be, like, desperate for people to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ so they don't have to face the Jesus with fire in his eyes and a sword out of his mouth. This like, just confirms all the more, like, we're living in this time like no other, like, that I can recall, where evil is good and good is evil. Has this ever happened? Well, and again, I think if you go back in history, you would probably find people, you know, like we talked about AD 70 or something, right? Those people probably said the world can never get more wicked. This has to be the end, you know, and even in modern times. Well, I'm not talking about just wickedness. I'm just saying the flip flop of good and evil, the confusion going on and again, willfully believing lies. I'm sure people in their own day. Now, fortunately, we have the hindsight you know, to be able to look back on history and go, well, you can kind of see the pieces here, you know, like Nazi Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, our favorite here, he probably thought it can't possibly get more wicked than Nazi Germany. No, it just seems to be spiraling but faster and faster to me. Seems, I mean, they didn't have a confusion over what a woman was for certain in his day. Um, yeah, I, I think there are definitely different, different things many things all at right. once and it's obviously, you know rolling out time goes by we're getting close we're closer to the end than bonhoeffer yeah. was we're closer to the end than the apostles were so things are going to escalate naturally that's the course of time um but yeah it, it is daunting but i think with that point here you know trying to sum up why i think that point of you're a racist white person if you believe in a warrior Christ is because I think they need to pitch Jesus as the meek and mild Prince of Peace. Um, because I think that at least in their mind, the people that follow that Jesus will be far more easily manipulated. You know, one of my mom's favorite sayings, although I, I churched it up a bit for you guys, they wouldn't say poop if they had a mouthful. Um, those sort of Christians that, you know, do whatever you can the walk in love, do nothing, say nothing Christians. They're much easier to either manipulate or just sort of get out of the way, right? They won't even get off their butts to go vote for life. They're pretty easy to get out of the way. Um, those Christians, you know, they might solemnly walk themselves to the prison cells for you. Um, but this modern progressive left, they can't have a bunch of Dietrich Bonhoeffers walking around actually trying to thwart their plans. That mm -hmm. gets in their way. So if you have this view of, hey, man, the Lord I serve, he is the meek and mild prince, and prince of peace, but he's also the rider on the white horse who's coming to bring judgment on the world. Like, that's the kind of Christian that'll be called to action. Um, and that, you know, is that's not something they can have. Or that they can handle here. So I can just see all the more, sorry, how it says in Revelation, 
you know, after all the the wrath being poured out, people still blasphemed God's name, refused to repent, knowing that what was happening was the judgment of God. Like they straight up knew it was God and they still hated him. Right, because like that's always the confusion that somehow if you could just show people Jesus or they could get to the gates and they yeah they would realize and then they would repent and believe. No, they'd hate him. They wouldn't. They don't accept him here because they hate him here. They'll hate yeah. him there. Yeah. Um, if like, you I want a good book this. on that, go and read C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Um, I've very, very much enjoyed that book on sort of the afterlife people getting to heaven and how they would actually behave. Mm-hmm. Um, very good book there. But, you know, my stance here, I think probably Nikki's stance here as well, is that we as Christians, we should live like Christ, you know, like he called us to. We absolutely should be doing that to the best of our ability. Um, but we're also Americans, right? And as citizens, we don't just have to give our nation away to the perverse, secular, globalist, you know, group right, of elites right. um, that just want to rule over us. We don't have to do that. You know, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. So we can love the Lord. We can serve him passionately. And we can also not give our nation away to Satan and his children without a fight. Mm-hmm. Because like I said earlier, my kids have to grow up here. Your kids have to grow up mm-hmm. here. I want to have grandkids here. And I'd prefer them to grow up in a, a country that had a little bit of sanity left to it. Yeah, it's not a selfish thing to want generations after you to be blessed. Like if it's in your power to make a difference, then you should. Just like that that verse we read. And um, it's... I know I've said this before, but it's like, what has God given you? Where has God placed you? What um, freedoms has he given you in your country, in wherever? And if God has put you here, he has given you those freedoms and those rights and the powers that we have as being citizens and you do nothing with it. That is from God and you're doing nothing with it. I think that's sin. I think scripture so too. And says. it's funny that we, you know, we sit here and we pray for the persecuted Christians yes. in Russia yeah. and China, pray North Korea. Them, we give money to help free them. We send missionaries, we send delegates to also that we can do nothing for our country. Exactly. Like, why are we sense. praying for them? But at the same time, these Christians who are, you know, like kind of against America, against our freedoms, they they want persecution to come. Like they think that is the only way it is a way, but we don't need to just sit back and do nothing. And it's like us opening the door to it. We're going to be judged for it. It's, it's a weird, it's a confusing way to think like you are going to be judged for being lazy and doing nothing with the gifts uh, that God has given you. Yeah. And I mean, just how much more does the world suffer with a, with an America that no longer has a Christian backbone. We're the Mm -hmm. most generous nation on the planet. We support missions. We support Christians all around the world to the tunes of billions of billions of dollars a year. Mm -hmm. If this nation falls or to the point where Christianity is persecuted, all that goes away. Right. And not that God needs it. God can do miracles, but this is what he's chosen to use. Mm -hmm. So I don't know why we just give that up without a fight. So um, the last point here, 
He says, a belief there's such thing as a real American. And I thought, man, the hypocrisy of this statement is glaring if you read through this article. Because they go through the whole article sort of deriding this notion that someone can tell another person what it means to be a real American, all the while in the article telling you what it means to be a real Christian. And they don't see any sort of hypocrisy there, right? (laughs) Um, But I guess, you know, in many respects for the Samuel Perry's of the world, um, if they weren't hypocritical Christians, they wouldn't be Christians at all, right? Um, (laughs) And the author in this article makes reference, like I mentioned to that Gorski guy uh, here, and Gorski says, (laughs) he says, he found similar support among white Christian nationalists for the electoral college, which gives disproportionate political power to many rural, largely white areas of this country. Think how stupid this statement is. And it should really make us feel good about ourselves to know that there are smart people that are really this dumb. Um, <laughs> the electoral college is white racism because it allows the rules, rural, rural, I can't say that, that word, rural areas of the country to not be completely irrelevant in national elections. That equals white racism. Because without the Electoral College, presidents would never have a reason to campaign in Nebraska, right. the Dakotas, Montana, Wyoming. All they would have to do is go and win LA, New York, Chicago, Dallas, maybe a couple other metropolitan areas. And hey, you're the president. Right, right. And like, who thinks, who knows how to, who knows what's better for Nebraska? A Nebraskan or somebody who's lived their entire life in Manhattan? Who might know better for how to run Nebraska than it's complete idiocy? The Electoral College gives a voice to the rural people. Because otherwise, they would have no voice. We, it doesn't even mm-hmm. matter that much. Because if you just look at electoral maps, say the last election, even in states like California, that are as liberal as liberal gets, you'll look at a voting map, and it's like the Democrat wins like 100% of the vote in Los Angeles and Sacramento, and they win the entire state. The rest of the state, every other county is red. Because they're all farming communities and stuff. Makes no difference. Because the metropolis has a gazillion times more people in it. Win the metropolis, win the state. So, like, you would have no reason (laughs) to go to Iowa. You'd have no reason to go to 50, 60, 70% of this entire country if there was no electoral college. But somehow, that means you're racist. Because you want a farmer in Nebraska to have a voice in the presidential election. It's so stupid. It's hard to even fathom. Um, But he goes on to say, um, when white Christian nationalists claim an election was stolen, they are reflecting the belief that some votes don't count, he says. Now, I will say, in this respect, probably, because in every election, they drum up thousands and thousands of votes that were made by dead people, non-citizens. So in that respect, yes, he's right. They don't count or they shouldn't. But more than that, he's saying this is a racism claim. 
Ah, the election was stolen because all these minority folks, their vote doesn't matter to the progressive Christian. When in reality, I would say the more logical argument here is they're looking at the president we have now, Joe Biden, and going, he won the most votes in American history. This guy won 80 million, 81 million votes. 81 million votes. He got more votes than Barack Obama in 2008. First black president. And we're all supposed to just be like, yeah, it makes sense. Maybe that's yeah. the problem. Yeah. It's not racist to be like, this doesn't add up. Gosh, I'm just so tired of the race excuse. Race it's so frustrating. Everything. It blows my mind. So that's basically how <sighs> the godless, you know, raceless, racist left classifies white Christian nationalism. Um, <laughs> They'll think of more, more ways to define, I'm sure. That's not it. Well, they were, and it does outline in here, you know, why are they concerned about it? Why is this a concern that made them write the article? And they write in there, those who want the U.S. to become a Christian nation face a huge obstacle. Most Americans don't subscribe to their vision of America. And this ties into the point that I think you were saying earlier, or what you're asking about. Okay. Because um, the big point in all of this, and I think why they're laser focused on this now, like I said, all these books were just written in the last like four or five months. They must have been in the works. They found their catalyst, pump mm -hmm. out the information. We all know that the news media, academia, it's all coordinated. Yeah. Um, but the point is Christianity is dying in this nation. Um, but the one area that you see it dying slower is what they label as white evangelical. That camp is dying slower than all the others. Um, hmm. Whenever you see a study done on religion, and we'll have some on the screens. I forgot to put them in the notes, so forgive me. But if you're watching the video, they'll be on the screen. If you're in or listening on the podcast, go down to the show notes. I'll have links down there. And this is just one survey that I found. But we do surveys on this show a lot, and they're always broken out this way. You'll see them in different groups among religions. You'll have them broken up into like the Protestant camp, Catholic, atheist. And then inside the Protestant camp, they'll have white evangelicals, non-white evangelicals, and like uh -huh. black Protestants or something, however they, they label do. it. Um, and in most surveys um, or studies revolving around faith, um, whenever they sort of ask a question that kind of revolves around adhering to scripture or traditional biblical values, white evangelicals lead the way by far. Um, and you can see that in the article that we have here. Hmm. Um, and it's this way in most of the articles that we've examined, you know, when it deals with how closely do you view the Bible or how accurately or how much importance do you put on whatever thing white evangelicals by far adhere or at least say they do right mm -hmm. more closely to scripture um so this isn't really a racism thing from our point of view um it's just a numbers thing that's how the surveys play out mm -hmm. and, and again you'll find surveys where this isn't the case uh, but like i said by and large this is the way that it seems to work out um so I think this is why the strategy has become to uh, 
start making these biblical views racist rather than wrong. Okay. Um, Cause like they aren't looking to really change your mind here on these. Um, the goal here, like most of the goals on the left, because they're smarter in this area than we are, they're long-term goals. Um, what they're going for here is the minds and the hearts of the youth. That's what they're trying to get right now. Um, because the kids that are growing up today, like this argument doesn't work on me. I pray that it doesn't work on you, you know, because you've grown up, if you're 30, 40, 50, 60 years old, you know, white Christians, you know, black Christians, you know, Hispanic Christians, and they're great believers. And that's all that matters to you. But for the kids growing up into this world, they're going to be fed a steady diet um, in their public schools, right, by their far left progressive Marxist teachers, that traditional Christian, uh, the traditional Christian religion is racist. And what we really need is some sort of universalism, right? That's accepting of all mm. people, all races, genders, all sexual preferences. Um, so it's going to be more of like a system of just kind of generic moral codes, rather than rules given by a divine being. Um, Mm -hmm. So it won't look really, I don't think, any different than the way that the LGBTQ agenda has sort of been pushed in their faces. And we've seen the results of that. It's working out splendidly for Satan and his children. Because um, marketing works, <laughs> plain and simple. It works for McDonald's. It works for yeah. uh, Tesla, right? And it works for Satan and his godless schemes. And this is really what they're doing. They're marketing. Again, this is why you see January 6th happens and they flood the market with white Christian nationalism. Books are written. People are on podcasts, CNN. Everybody's coordinated to push this um, agenda. And I think it's on purpose. So um, so you're saying is like people will want not want to, they don't want people to associate with the white man's religion. Yeah, I'll say I mean, if you call yourself a Christian evangelical, you're probably racist is what they're going to get. Yeah, I mean, they're saying if you adhere to these biblical, more traditional biblical views, because um, I'm sure that they were going to they can probably expand this list out. Those might be the three, but it might get soon into traditional marriage. I mean, we've already seen this right with wow. the whole Jesus never said homosexual, right? They're attacking scripture there. We just talked about it recently with God never spoke about abortion. Don't you know? So they're attacking it there. Now they're attacking it as racism. And mm -hmm. this is going to be, in my opinion, what they're sort of trying to tear down. We already know white people are racist, right? We've established that. So this religion that white people adhere to is a racist religion. Therefore, you can't adhere to the same religion that these racist people adhere to. Hmm. Essentially, you can't adhere to the Bible. You've got to let progressive people like Christian Dumez, who thinks Hillary Clinton's form of Christianity saves the nation. She's going to be the one to tell your children, this is what true Christianity looks like. Well, they're just going to follow the, the Queen James Bible, right? Isn't that a thing? Oh, yeah. They got Queen James Bibles everywhere. That is a thing. Yeah, I mean, so that's going to, I think, to me, this is why they have to attack it from a racism angle. They've already got racism 
sort of the teeth sunk into this culture in racism. They've realized that it works. Mm-hmm. So they're just attaching it to Christianity now. When you see the strategy, though. You're like, it's so clever, so sneaky. Like it just like a serpent is. It really is. It's it's quiet. You don't see it. It's so subtle. Like all their moves are just right, like because that. Because we're still sitting there trying to argue. I don't know, from a logical, like, oh no, it's not. That's not racism, don't you know? It's that's right there in Revelation. It's it like, says that he's coming back. They're not arguing scripture, man. No, it's like COVID is the distraction for this. Honestly. Everybody's like, oh, everything in the news is a distraction. And like, really, it's a spiritual battle. And well, and again, we've been asleep at the wheel. Like I said, they were taught. I mean, this came long before Barack Obama, but they were talking about this 12 years ago. We have to change our history. Well, what's our history? White Christian men. That was our history, right? Well, we got to get rid of that. Yeah. Yeah. Do away with that. So, um, and we've already talked on this show previously about them wanting to install or instill quotas into seminaries, right? Mm. We talked about that before. And that's going to trickle down, I would imagine, soon into your local church if this doesn't get stopped. There's going to be some pressure. We need to pray for our Christian leaders, big time. And we need to pray and we need to encourage them to wake up and Mm -hmm. start. I'm not smart enough to go and fight this fight. There's smarter people than me. They just need to be woken up. They got to get ready for the fight. Because if you're still trying to argue that, well, no, I mean, Revelation 1 says that Jesus is coming. You've lost the argument, dude. That They're already past that, right? They're not fighting necessarily a scriptural battle. They agree with you. That's what Revelation says. They're just telling you, if you also agree, you're racist. Like, you're fighting the wrong battle here. And um, so, yeah, like, we're going to get to a point here pretty soon. You're going to be like in your all white church, listening to your white pastor tell you how what you're being taught is racist and you're racist for believing it. You're going to be like, what? What is happening here? And your kids are going to be like, yeah, my dad's racist. Because he had us reading the Bible at dinner time. And, you know, you're going to lose. So just as we get ready to end this, I just wanted to end on two points here. Because I think, like we said, we need to wake up here. And I think this has to start with the church. Um, Speaking about this, joining together in a brotherhood with local churches, I think is super important. Um, especially if you're in sort of an inner city mix, you know, mixed races, joining together with these sort of multi-ethnic groups before everything's so far gone, you can't join together with them anymore and start building this message of unity. Mm-hmm. We've got to start fighting it back in the churches. Um, and again, I was drawn back to Bonhoeffer when I was reading about this because Bonhoeffer in his time, when the Nazi church was taken over, or the Nazi government was taken over, they were taking over the church at the same time. And they were instilling this Reich church, with this perversion and this twisting of Christianity. And Bonhoeffer and his um, compatriots at the time, they decided we need to make a counter to this. We have to establish what the true church is. And that's what led them to come up with the confessing church. Um, they came up with their own sort of... Um, biblical standard of Christianity to push back against this twisting of the Nazi faith. 
we need to mm-hmm. almost do something like that yeah. to the effect of building this brotherhood with multi-ethnic um, churches in our communities so that when this stuff starts coming out, you know, we already know like, hey, man, we know, we know the white pastor down the street. He's not a racist. He's been over here. We've heard him preach. He's a good man of God. We've heard the black pastor over in our church preaching to us. He's a brother in Christ, right? That's the stuff that I think we need to start doing now. We need to... The church is really coming together. Yeah. And I think it's going to take a big change in the way we do church. Yeah. You know, like... It would. You can't just be like, well, I go to my church on, right. you know, the on 4th Street. Been going to Central Baptist for 50 years, and I know everybody in there. Man, we got to start mixing it up a little bit. Um, I think more so than we than we have in the past. And um, that's the first point. It's got to start with the churches. Everything has to start with the churches. But then the second thing, um, I think this needs to take place in the home. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think a huge help for preventing um, this perversion from taking root. And this may be a bridge too far for most people. And that's a shame. I would say homeschool your kids. We harp on this all the time. Um, but we've seen over the last few years that your children will be subjected to far left ideas mm-hmm. repeatedly um, if they're in these public schools. You know, and I think we as a society, we need to protect our children from the sort of perverse, godless left. Um, and we have to take on the challenge of training them in the way they should go. We've got to mm-hmm. protect their minds from being just. Because kids are too young. They're overwhelmed with this satanic yeah. philosophy. You don't even know what it's going to be like in the future for them. Like, are white Christian boys, when they grow up, are they going to be excluded from getting jobs? Like, is there going to be that kind of discrimination going on? Like, don't even worry so much about, like, what they're going to do. How are they going to make a living? Like, ground them in the faith and protect them from these lies. Yeah. And I mean, the thing is, I would encourage anybody don't ever get in the mode of saying, well, that could never happen here. Right. Because every time you get into the, uh, that could never happen here happens here. You're left without a plan, right? The Jews could never be round up in Germany and thrown into ovens and, you know, gassed in showers, right? They were an integral part of Germany. Who would do that to them? Um, So again, that may be a stretch. We may never get there. But if we do nothing about it, we're far more likely to get there. And again, the left, the satanic people in this country, they're playing the long game. They're looking to Mm -hmm. twist your kids for the future. They're planning ahead way, way further beyond what we're planning. We're just that's sitting here and be like, boy, I hope Trump wins in 24. Yeah, that's you've our lost. <laughs> like, that's our long-term goal. <laughs> yeah, you've lost if that's what you're hoping for. So um Oh my gosh. There's yeah. probably a lot more to say. We probably, you know, I hope we didn't ruffle any feathers here again. Um, our heart is in the right place, I promise you. Um, there's no hate or or malice here. We we just worry about it because um, yeah, easily or a divided people is an easily conquered people. And, um, again, my children got to live here. Your children got to live here. I got to live here. Um, and a nation that's living for God, serving God, walking close, following his commands. 
is a better place to live mm-hmm. for not just Christians, but everybody. Yeah. Even non-believers um, reap the benefits of living in a godly nation. So true. Um, as we get ready to move on to our sermon recommendation, do you have any last thoughts? Nah. One. All right. So for our sermon recommendation, I actually listened to these two videos in uh, in my classes getting ready for those at seminary. And we may talk about this at some point. You know, this is another kind of hot button issue in the Christian faith, but not super important to us. So we'll get to it eventually. But I did think it was an interesting take. You know, it's two videos from John Piper about the spiritual gifts. And Piper is a Calvinist, but he also believes in the spiritual gifts. And, you know, I don't know how many of those there are out there. And I thought his takes on the spiritual gifts were very interesting. So, um, sorry, it'll be these two videos here on speaking in tongues and prophecy. And you can check those out. They're about seven to 10 minutes a piece, so they're not terribly long. But I also would just be curious to know what you guys think about the spiritual gifts. You know, obviously they got the cessationist camp, the continuous or continuationist camp. They got the full-on charismatic camp, you know, all different things. So just be curious to know what you guys think. And um, again, we may discuss this at some point, but I don't know. We already got stuff percolating for next week. I hear there's a new atheism out there. So we're looking to dive into that, um, see what that has to to be all about. So that's our sermon recommendation. Other than that, we'll be back on Monday with our daily devotionals. Um, Go check out the show notes for links. Go pick up a t-shirt and um, yeah, walk around loud and proud. All right, guys. God bless.